Thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, please check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com. You can also search One Cause Church on Facebook and on Twitter. God bless you. All right. Everybody all right? Yeah. Man, it's good to see all of you here today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're finishing our series on the awakening today. And uh, I really, really appreciated Crystal Hexamer bringing that scripture this morning. And I, she didn't she just read that beautifully? Um, I really, I, I didn't know what the scripture was today. And I, and I don't know what the scripture is. I mean, uh, I have the information, but I don't ever look at it. Uh, Mary, Mary Beth uh, Winchell um, uh, I put her in charge over our scripture reading, and she has done a fabulous job. We've really seen some great, great things happen already. And the scripture today is right in line with what we're going to be speaking about today. It was extraordinary how God put that theme together. Just, just wonderful. So I uh, just want to say thank you, Mary Beth. You're such a blessing. And uh, <clears throat> how many of you are happily married here today? You better, you better raise your hand, man. I'm telling you right now, you better raise that hand, out, whether you are, whether you think you are or not. Well, I got some, uh, I got a little bit of a marital advice for you. This young, this young man came to an older gentleman who they were celebrating 60 years of marriage. He said, what's, what's the key to longevity? He said, I told that woman the first day I asked her to marry me, I told her, this is how it's going to be. I will make every major decision. And you will make every minor decision. And that's how we're going to live our lives. He said, that's the key to longevity. He said, well, how, how, how's that worked out so well? He said, never had to make a major decision. <laughs> Luke chapter 9. Back to the scripture now. Luke chapter 9. I want to say hello to all of you here that are visiting with us at One Cause Church. We... Uh, we are grateful to have you with us today, and uh, you are our honored guests, and we thank God for you, and uh, we have a seat here always for you. In case you, just, in case you decide to make this your home, then we welcome you with open arms. Yeah. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he, Jesus, took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Why did they go to the mountain? As he prayed... The appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, why'd they go to the mountain? Verse 32, but Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. <laughs> and when they were fully awake, when they were fully Awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I like the way Luke just throws that in there. Not Peter, don't know what he's talking about. Verse 34, while he was saying this, 
a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. I want to go back to 32 for a moment. And when they were fully awake, everybody say fully awake, they saw his glory. Father, thank you for this time. Under the influence of your word, I thank you for the anointing of the Spirit. You've anointed me to preach the gospel. And Father, I do this with gratitude today. And I thank you that you grace my lips today. And I thank you, God, that you bless the hearers as well. That there would be a, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. And Lord, that we will receive your word into our lives today and be better for it. Because your word is what makes our lives better. In Jesus' name, amen. When they were fully awake, they saw his glory. Peter just came out of a heavy sleep. And so you can't really blame him for what he said. Right? You've talked. You've, you've come out of, of sleep and, and it takes a while for your mouth to wake up and your brain to start working. Right? I told you about Heather talking in her sleep when we were first married. Did I tell you guys about that? Just being so convinced that what she was telling me had great revelation in it, or it was so profound and it was so important. She woke me up in the middle of the night. We'd just married a few months. And she said, because he's a Wendy's. I said, what? And she's setting up, sitting up in bed. And she says, because he's a Wendy's. And I said, Heather, are you awake? And I said, what? And because he's a what? She was just saying this over and over. And then she laid back down and went back to sleep. When you're asleep, you just, things that make sense in your dream make no sense in this world, do they? Peter and them just come out of this heavy sleep. He sees this thing, and all of a sudden, he's got this profound revelation. <laughs> it's amazing that when Jesus takes these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who are his top dogs, right? I mean, Jesus had relationship on many levels. He had the multitudes, but they also had the 500 that he appeared to after his resurrection. Even at one point, he sent out 70 disciples to go and do the work of the kingdom. And then he had his 12 disciples. Then he had Peter, James, and John, and they got to experience a few special things, just them. Then he had John as his best friend. Everybody else, when Jesus was hanging on that cross, everybody else split, and only one man, his best friend, stood there at the foot of his cross, willing to do what, willing to take whatever uh, risk, because he would not leave Jesus. Peter, James, and John, here they are on the mountain. He takes them up there to do what? Pray. And what do they do? Fall asleep. He takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane. Just before he's about to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders and the, and the Romans to be crucified, and he's in an he's in a, in a agonizing moment, and he says, please pray. Takes, Peter, James, and John has all the disciples there, takes those three because they're his closest companions, and he needs them to be praying. What do they do? <laughs> Fall asleep. This gives me a little bit of comfort today to see the humanity of these men, right? Because sometimes we hold them up in this, in this light, that they're so untouchable. They're just men. Yeah. They're just men. Yeah. It's like you and me. Yeah. If you ever have struggle sleeping, just start praying. Yeah. <laughs> just start trying to pray. I'm telling you what, you'll get so tired. Or just open your Bible. All of a sudden, <sighs> I know. 
I know how it works. Hmm? <laughs> I find it interesting that they're asleep. But when they were awake, they saw something spectacular. They're on the mountain with Jesus, and they're asleep, so they're not seeing anything. Here he is glorified, 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 and they're asleep. And they didn't realize it until they were what? Fully awake. Hallelujah. Now, Peter says something extraordinary here. He says, let's, Lord, it's good that we are here. Man, this is great. Well, yeah, it was like heaven. I mean, it's Jesus at his optimum right here, right? Totally transfigured into his glorious self, right? Peter's like, whoa, whoa, okay, okay, I know what to do. I got, I got a great idea. Hang on. I got a really good idea. While I was in a deep sleep, I had a vision. <laughs> we could build these tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What is he saying? Let's just stay here. Let's just stay here in the glory. This is... There's no need for us to go anywhere else but right here. This is Jesus. This is what we've been looking for right here. This is the, this is the, our dreams come true right here. Let's just stay here. We don't have to leave this mountain ever again. And that cloud comes over and he says, this is my beloved son, hear him. And we can't, we can't blame Peter too much because I think we find ourselves in that situation too. We like those mountaintop experiences. We like when everything's at a pinnacle of good yeah. everything's going right in your life and you'd like for that moment to to just stay right there right. I've been in church services where believe it or not I didn't want it to end I mean the the presence of God was just so so wonderful and and God was just moving so my just didn't want it to end just oh let's just stay here God what would just be wrong with us just staying here matter of fact won't you just take us on up there and it'd be great but that clock keeps ticking and we got to turn out the lights sometime. People got to go home and go back to their lives. I can remember the first time I held a girl's hand in a movie theater. Unfortunately, it wasn't Heather. She didn't have the privilege of being that girl at the time. But I was holding the hand of this girl, and I just remember thinking, I hope this movie lasts for the rest of my life. This is the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> And so you say things as a teenager to each other, you know, because you don't really understand reality. You just say things like, oh, I don't want this to ever end. I want to be here forever. Right? And the next day you see him at school, you're like, ugh, never mind. I'm sorry I said all that. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about? The bus trip crush? Never, never noticed this girl before, but all of a sudden on the bus, I don't know what happens, but she looks pretty. So like you have like a, you go on a field trip and you're like boyfriend and girlfriend. You get back to school, you go, what in the world was I thinking? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one that's experienced that, but uh, uh, I'm the only one to admit it. Thank you, John. I'm the only honest guy in the building. Hello. <laughs> I want you to take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. <laughs> Listen to me. Here's the thing. If you're not careful, you'll be like Peter here. Yeah. And you'll find yourself chasing the glory rather than the glorious one. Come on. 
Because your whole life will be about trying to get to the next mountaintop experience. And all those, those things are wonderful. There's work to be done in the valley. There's a gospel that must be preached. And let me tell you this. It's more glorious than that event. Peter said later on, he, re, he, he reaccounted that event. He said, we saw him on the holy mountain. We heard a voice coming from the glorious majesty saying, this is my beloved son. He said, yet we have a more sure word. More sure word. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't this? That's the glory of God. Now, 2 Corinthians, have you found it? Chapter 3. Now the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is what? Boy, that's powerful. Verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, what that means from glory to glory is, does not mean from meeting to meeting. Not from Holy Spirit experience to Holy Spirit experience. Glory to glory is you have a glorious salvation already in your spirit. You are being transformed right now by the renewing of your mind, but then you're going to receive another glory called this new body. Hallelujah. From glory to glory. You're going to have the whole image of Christ when all is said and done. Spirit, soul, and body. that help you? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now let's go to verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, that's the devil, has blinded who do not believe. Apart from believing, there is blindness. Hmm? Faith opens your eyes. Faith opens your eyes. Who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the gospel of the glory of Christ, that is that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Who is the image of God should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. What they're saying is we put ourselves in a position, we're bound to you to show you Jesus. Okay? We're bound to you to show you Jesus. That's so good. For it is God who commanded, it is the God, I like the way that it says that. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown where? In our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure, that light of the glorious gospel of Christ, in earthen vessels. Woo! So you have a glory that's living in you all the time. In this earthen vessel, this flesh. That the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1969, we landed on the moon. It was a great feat for the United States of America. We beat the Russians there. The Russians beat us in space, but we beat them to the moon. And uh, if you remember 
Some of you were alive back then. I couldn't tell you what it was like, just except through TV. But one of my favorite pictures that they got was from the surface of the moon, seeing the earth off in the distance. The cool picture. But then they had pictures of the moon itself. Anybody looked at these things? Is that the ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life? (laughs) Dirt, rocks, and craters. I wonder if they were just a a little unimpressed when they landed there. Like, oh, we had all these ideas. We had all these thoughts of what the moon must look like. So they sent these pictures. (laughs) And we looked at the moon in a different way. Close up and personal. And it just wasn't all that pretty. From a distance, however, wow. I love when the moon comes up and it's red-orange and it's big in the sky. It comes on up. I like going hunting during the full moon because you got to get up early and go to the blind. I used to go to this deer blind. It was about a mile walk, actually, a long way from our cabin. And I loved when it was a full moon because I didn't have to use my flashlight. Just walk in the dark and see everything. The moon is glorious, beautiful. But you don't see the moon. You don't see the moon until it's in the sun. And when the moon is in the sun, then it looks totally different than what those astronauts showed us. It reflects the glory of the sun. And so we get to enjoy the benefits of this Otherwise, round, crater-filled, dirty rock. We have this treasure right here. Now, if you were to look at me, I would look at you, I could say you're just like everybody else. But when your light starts shining, the moment you get your eyes on the sun, then others start seeing you in a whole different line. Now, I know that you look like me, and you got a job, and you got kids, and you got things going on in your life, but you don't act like everybody else. You don't talk like everybody else. You sound like God. They may, I got to read this scripture. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works and do what? See, they'll make the connection. The men will make the connection. Let me say it like this. The world will make the connection to the Father when you reflect the Son. Acts 4.13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Something different about these guys. They They didn't learn this in seminary. They didn't learn this at the university. They didn't learn that they couldn't get this training on the job. These guys have been with Jesus. They're reflecting that sun and their whole life looks different than mine. Their whole, as a matter of fact, you know what they said about them? These guys are turning the world upside down. 
What a testimony. Actually, they were turning it right side up, but they was turning their religious system upside down. Thank God. They perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men. They said, well, they didn't get this natural by natural means then. They've been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. See, you have something that this world can't teach you. This treasure is in you. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God is who guides you into all truth. John said it like this. We have an anointing that teaches us all things. Now, this is called the knowledge of God. And with the knowledge of God comes the power of God. Are you hearing me? With the knowledge of God comes the power of God. You know him. Jesus said it's the truth that you know that will set you free. People hear truth all the time, but it doesn't change lives until they know it for themselves, until they put their understanding on until they receive it for themselves. And it's at that moment that they give their life the ability to then be free. Yeah. All right? That's why we have to just keep giving the truth. Because any minute, any minute, any minute, any minute, they could say, okay, I received that. Any minute. We just got to give the truth. The pressure's not on you to save people. The pressure's on you to just give them the message that saves people. The message has the power to save those who will just believe it. So you just have the message. You have the message to give. Glory to God. Man, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but that takes the pressure off of me. When all I have to understand, all I have to do is reflect the sun and let his, his light just shine through me. Oh, how wonderful is that? How great is that? February the 15th, 1921. Anybody alive during that time? You don't have to raise your hand. God bless you if you're still here. February the 15th, 1921, in New York City, at the Kane Summit Hospital, a doctor is performing an appendectomy. And he is uh, so skilled at this procedure because he's done thousands of them. Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane uh, has a patient who's been complaining of severe abdominal, uh, abdominal, <laughs> abdominal pain. And, and so he, it's just going to be one more surgery. It's going to be an uneventful thing. But however, except two things are interesting about this time. And one, the first novelty of this operation is, is that he is going to use a local anesthetic. Because he is a crusader for local anesthesia over the risk uh, of general anesthesia. For those of you who don't understand what I'm talking about, general anesthesia is they they put you out and do surgery on you. But this doctor was a crusader for the local anesthesia where they just give you a shot wherever they're going to cut. We're talking about major surgery. And so uh, uh, obviously he had a hard time finding a volunteer for this. Right? A, sur- a, a, a patient being awake during his surgery? Anybody going for that one? <laughs> Mark. I mean, that's just, mm-mm. Well, he finally found one. And, <clears throat> excuse me, many of his colleagues, they believed in the principle of, of what he was saying, but they needed to see it in practice to make sure that that theory was actually true. So he searched for a volunteer and finally found one who was willing to undergo the surgery under local anesthesia. And uh, <clears throat> he, uh, 
On Tuesday morning, February the 15th, 1921, this historic operation occurred where he, (laughs) the the, the patient was prepped and wheeled in the operating room and the local anesthetic was applied. And as he had done thousands of times, Dr. Kane, he he, uh, locates the appendix, excises it from the body with great success, concludes the surgery. During the procedure, the the patient complained of only minor discomfort. The volunteer is taken into post-op and then placed in a hospital ward, and he recovered quickly and was released from the hospital two days later. Dr. Kane had proven his theory to be true, thanks to the willingness of a brave volunteer. Kane demonstrated that a local anesthesia could be administered, and it was a viable and even preferable alternative. There's two interesting facts about this operation, the first one being that a local anesthesia anesthetic was administered, and then the number two thing was the volunteer. Because Dr. Kane operated on none other than himself. (laughs) Took his own appendix out. Administered the the anesthesia and took his own appendix out and told what was going on, how he was feeling during this whole operation. The doctor became a patient. And that Because of that, other patients could trust what the doctor had to say. Now, you need to listen to me. Jesus Christ became a man. God became a man. So that you and I could trust what he had to say. See, it wasn't wasn't working out so well the other way. When he wrote his laws on stones and said, do this. Or most of them are, don't do this. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And the children of Israel were so confident they could, that they could keep that law. But they found out very quickly that was not the case. And that law was glaring at men, at their unholiness and their inability to live a righteous life from the outside in. So God became a man. And when we became like one of us, he showed us a new and living way. See, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is our high priest. And it says that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. The very same temptations that you have, Jesus had them too. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, there's no miracle in that verse if Jesus didn't have the ability to sin. It wouldn't even say yet without sin because he was Jesus and, of course, he can't sin. That's not what it's saying. Jesus was tempted just like you are. He could have have sinned any minute, but yet he chose not to. And so what he showed us in becoming a man is that we can live the God kind of life. We can live a holy life. We can reflect God in the earth. We can be lights to this world. Because the Bible says later on, John, under the revelation of the Holy Spirit, says, As he is, so are we in this world. We're just like him. Glory to God, which gives us all the ability to live according to his standards. To do good works in the earth. This is a blessing. God became a man. That just means God can be trusted. If he would change who he was from the word, and the word would become flesh. And then when Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and then ascended back to the Father, he didn't turn back into the word. 
He stayed a man. Now the Bible says that we have a mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is man, and he is God. And he's seated at the Father's right hand. And as long as that man is seated there, then men have access to God. Woo! See, he forever changed who he was. Forever. He decided to become a man, and he's going to stay a man so that you then, as a child of the earth, can become a child of God. He became like us so we could become like him. Glory to God. That, that ought to give you all the confidence in the world to be who you are and do what you do. Why don't you just say that with me? Say, I'm going to be who I am, and I'm going to do what I do. All right? Say it again. I'm going to be who I am, and I'm going to do what I do. That is, you are the righteousness of God in Christ, so then you do righteousness in the earth. Amen? You are who God says you are. Hallelujah. I hope that's blessed you. I want to finish with this. We've got to keep the story straight. If we're going to really be lights, we cannot have darkness scattered in that light. That is that we preach <clears throat> the gospel of Christ and none other. Paul made sure that we, on Wednesday nights, we've been doing a study in Galatians, and Paul made sure that we understood the extreme crucial importance of preaching the gospel right, of getting it right. He said, if I or an angel from heaven or anybody else come to you and preach any other gospel than what we've already preached, let him go to hell. He said, this is, I've given you everything you need. No one needs to add to that. Anything that's added to it, they need to be, they're accursed. Don't listen to it. And so people are attaching things to the gospel all the time to make men live right. Because they take on the responsibility to make men live right. They put themselves right in God's shoes, thinking that they've got the standard. And they forget that the standard is the gospel, period. The gospel is the transforming power. The gospel is what saves men. The gospel is what gives you the ability to live right. Are you hearing me? It's that message. And we have to leave it right there. We have to leave it right there. Oh, but you got to balance it out. Balance it out? You have to balance it out. You have to balance out. You can't just preach grace. You got to, you, you got to balance that out with, with, the, with the other, with the law. You got to balance that out. Oh, really? Okay. How much urine can you take in your drinking water? It's okay if we balance that out. Hmm? Just a little bit. Guess what? It pollutes the entire glass, doesn't it? I mean, one drop pollutes the entire glass. Anything, anything outside of grace is a pollution to the gospel. Period. Period. Oh, Pastor, believing's not enough. Believing is everything. Pardon me. That's what the Bible teaches, not what your religion teaches me. Believing is everything. Amen. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should say, I made this happen, like so many are going to try to do on that last day when they stand before him and say, Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? Didn't I do this? Didn't I? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah. Now, I've told you this before. When I was a kid, that verse was, always had us at the altar. Always had, they, always preached it, they always preached it like, see, he's going to say, some of you think you're saved out there, but you better make sure so you need to get down here to the altar today and cry. Repent. Right? 
So, I mean, I was always wondering about my, I never knew about my relationship with God. I never knew what day I was saved, which day I wasn't. Yeah. Scared to death all the time because that scripture was taken out of context. Because yeah. some guy didn't study his Bible and teach me right. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. This means you never believed. Jesus can't say, I never knew you, if he had once known you. Many will say, Lord, Lord, all of a sudden, they're going to talk real religious. And they're going to hope to God that they get there based on their merits, and they're going to find out real quick that it don't add up. It just doesn't add up. Your good works outside of Christ mean nothing. Jack squat. But in him, they mean everything. That is concerning your rewards in heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven, and what you do on this earth will determine the kind of heaven you'll have. The rewards. This whole life is about your rewards that you're storing up in heaven. He already secured your relationship. Thank God. But we got to get this message right and continue to hear it right because men are always doing other things. They're fighting that gospel all the time. And I think people with good intentions are fighting the gospel all the time. I think people that are sincere are fighting the gospel all the time. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong at the same time. A few years ago, my uncle, well, he was my uncle, my mom's sister's husband. They've been divorced. His name is Jim. And Jim went fishing with my grandfather. Now, my grandfather was an avid fisherman up in Minnesota, the land of lakes, land of 10,000 lakes, what they say. And he was known as the uh, fisherman in the community. I mean, if anybody wanted to learn how to fish, they went to my grandpa, Ray Limpkin. He would teach them how. Happily do it. He did it for many years. He served in the Navy. My Uncle Jim served in the Marines. His son-in-law. He's a Marine and he's a son-in-law. That's two strikes already, (laughs) according to this Navy man. Right? So... They, they went out fishing. I guess they're going to try to work this out, bond together. My grandfather was not an easy man to bond with, especially if you're a Marine and you're his son-in-law. So they got on the, <laughs> the boat. And so Jim is putting his tackle together, you know, and, and my grandpa begins to try to instruct him on how to do this. And the Marine is not going to hear from the Navy man. I, uh-uh, I already know how to do this. I don't need you telling me. Leave me alone. I know, I'm a grown man. I know what I'm doing. So my grandfather finally let him go. And so Jim went to cast his bait, his hook and worm, into the water. And as he threw it, he released the button, and then he caught the button again midair. Boy, anybody that knows fishing knows what happens at that moment, that there's tension in the line at that moment. And the the hook and worm began sailing back toward his face. So Uncle Jim, he didn't know what else to do except kind of throw the pole back out again, at which the hook entered into his nose right here and set. My grandfather having a lot of fun at this sight, watching this Marine who knows how to fish, hook himself, saying things like, you caught a big one there, Jim boy. So he has a hook in his nose and a worm hanging off the hook. And he panics. So not only does he have my grandfather riding him, <laughs> deriding him, he's panicked with this hook in his We gotta, uh, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta get to the hospital. My grandfather said, 
hospital. We came to fish, boy. So he walked over to his nose, and he clipped the line from the nose, pulled the worm off, gave him a new hook and worm, and said, now, go. And they fished for eight more hours that day, my Uncle Jim with a hook in his nose. It's interesting, my grandfather said, it's real interesting how quickly he began and easily he listened to my instruction after that. He was so ready to learn the right way. It's amazing how open your ears are when you got a hook in your nose. (laughs) Men are always trying to do it their way. They're always trying to do it their way. Fighting truth. Fighting instruction. Fighting just the simple Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Betty Crocker came out with a recipe many years ago that called for add, just add water. Just add water. They thought this would answer everybody's problems in making a cake. Just add water. How simple is that, ladies? Isn't that wonderful? And men, if you bake, you just buy the box and just pour in water. And they thought the cells would go through the roof. Well, they didn't. They were depleted immensely, and the the boxes just sat on the shelves. And they had a lady write to them and say, I've been baking cakes for a long time. You cannot tell me just adding water is going to bake a cake. I know for a fact it doesn't work. And they they started getting these complaints. This ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. So they revamped their system. Just add water and one egg. And there they went again. Because it's hard for people to wrap their minds around the grace of God. That God is that good. And he's given you all the ingredients to have a right relationship with him. And all you have to do is add faith. Oh, yeah, but you got to, yeah, yeah, but you, no, no, shut the religious mouth. And accept the truth. And let that free your life. Because you're never going to have the ability to live right until you know that you are right. Hallelujah. That you are already right. It wasn't sin, your, your sinning that was the problem. It was who you were. It wasn't man's actions. It was his condition that had to be changed. He, couldn't, he was not empowered to change because that's who he was. A sinner lost in sin, dead in his trespasses. But Jesus came not to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Hallelujah. And when you became alive on the inside, then that gave you all the power to realize righteous living. Hallelujah. Woo! See, he changed your condition from sin to righteousness because he became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Man, I don't know about you. That is some good preaching, Pastor Eric. Amen. I hope that's blessed you today. I want you to be encouraged. I want every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment here. Glory to God. Once again, thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. We invite you to check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com for upcoming events and information about us. God bless you.